Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. So we started this podcast at exactly the right time, it seems. This week, the latest book to come out in the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition set, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything Hit. So we're going to do a review episode. What are your overall thoughts? Well, first of all, got the book. I actually grabbed it digitally before, before uh, I had the opportunity to get it physically. So I've been reading it through D&D Beyond. I, got, I picked up the book from my local game shop and really been pouring through it since and overall i think it's pretty much what the game needed i'm a big fan of 5e i wasn't initially i didn't start playing it until late i think there were probably three maybe even three yeah about three years in before i started playing i was not initially a fan but i did love the ease of entry the ease of use of the game and the way it plays so i started playing i started buying the books I've had my feelings plus or minus on different books at different times, but I was very curious where they were going to go with this book. So overall, it was highly anticipated. Overall, I really liked the end result. Little nitpicky things here or there throughout the book, but overall, this is a welcome addition to my game uh, and a welcome addition to 5th edition. I, for the most part, agree with you. I so this this book definitely came out with a lot of fanfare in terms of what it was going to to have in it. And we're going to get into how the book kind of lined up against our expectations a little bit later in this episode. But there was definitely a lot of fanfare about what was going to be in it, particularly about how they were breaking down racial or species stat bonuses and and, and things like that and and how that was mechanically going to work. I think the part that I'm going to slightly disagree with you is that I'm I'm not sure the game necessarily I'm not sure that the game needed it. I think that the gaming community needed it more than anything else. I think the gaming community was asking for this sort of flexibility, but that the game itself didn't necessarily need it. And I think that this comes down to just the gameplay style that I have when I'm when I'm picking up a character, you know, when I am playing a fighter, I am playing a fighter because I want that fighter to do fightery things. And I think that some of the choices and some of the paths that they give in Tasha's just goes too far down, too far down a path that I would not necessarily want to go based on what it is that I'm going to be playing. Now, that being said, there are definitely some of those options that I'm very excited about. Like in the campaign that I am running, for example, um, they happened to stumble across an island that had psionic, had an entire psionic population on it. So things like the Psy Fighter and things like that are going to be very, very useful and are going to be able to make their way onto my table immediately. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. I think our differences on that issue are very slight. They're almost shades of the same discussion, I think, and, and not necessarily even a positive or negative. But when you say it's what the community needed, I absolutely agree with you. I was watching a podcast and I 
forget the name of it off the top of my head. It was something um, that I not watched a lot of. Actually, it wasn't a, even a podcast. It was a, just a YouTube video where one of the content creators discussed a story where she had an experience with another player at an adventure league game that went very poorly, basically harassment. She kind of detailed that story and whatnot, and I was very frustrated by that. As a longtime player and a longtime DM, I was very bothered by the fact that somebody felt they needed to stop playing the game. And she didn't stop D&D. She just stopped playing Adventure League because wherever she lived, that was the, pretty much the only Adventure League group in town. And she pretty much dropped Adventure League because of this treatment. So the fact that the community needed to put rules around inclusivity was absolutely what the community needed. I lean towards the game needs it because the game needed an update, a refresh. There's a lot of UA that needed to be brought forward. So it was official content. Klaus just does that. There's a lot of those inclusivity things that I think needed to be discussed in an official capacity. Do I necessarily agree with how it was done? Hmm, not so much. Right. But I agree that it had to be done. So I'm okay with it. I am not going to necessarily be their right. biggest celebrating fan over. I, I, so I guess, I guess that that is an, a really interesting distinction because you and I both run and tend to play in games that are heavily homebrewed, even if they are Dungeons and Dragons or Shadowrun in its framework. And so I guess in the uh, and we're we're talking specifically kind of about that first chapter right the first chapter that really broke down a lot of the character path stuff you know using their specific example that you know you can you can still be a dwarf without being a stereotypical dwarf kind of thing i think that in our games or the games that i have most familiarity with or most experience with that sort of stringent you can only be this kind of dwarf mentality never played anyway. Like it didn't, that, that's just not the, the way. And so there's nothing in this book that you couldn't have done before. It's just now been made D and D canon for lack of a better term. So, and this is where I think my experience with 5e where I started by playing adventure comes into play. So when I first decided, Hey, I want to start playing D and D with, with fifth edition, I had been running a Palladium Rifts game for a number of years. I had a group of players who, who did play 5th edition D&D. In fact, I ran my Rifts game in Saturday afternoons at my local shop. When my game finished, they all went to various uh, Adventure League tables, and they stayed the rest of the night. I typically left and went home to, you know, live my life and be with my kids. Or When our Rifts game came to a natural pause and people were clamoring to have me DM D&D game because they knew that I had previously done D&D in earlier editions. I said, I really do want to play. I said, I really don't want to run a 3.5 game anymore because the concept of asking people to go out and buy all these books and learn all these rules was not terribly appealing to me. Further, I look back at the rules having not run a D&D 3.5 game in at that point about five six years and realize wow, this is much more complicated than I remember. Like there yeah, was, it was really there, chunky. Yeah. There was a lot of mechanics and math and challenges with it that I didn't remember were that bad. Mm -hmm. um, part of that was I 
kind of grew with the game. Like it was there when it started. I got all the conversion from second to third stuff. So I kind of went through that. Yep. So when I decided I'm going to run a D&D game, I even knew the game I wanted to run. I, I had my story and my plot basically figured out. I knew kind of what I was doing. I'd been working on the concept for a little while, uh, kind of in the background. Um, I decided I'm not going to do a 3.5. I hmm. certainly at that point in time, based on my level of knowledge of fourth edition, a game I played for a short time and books that I owned for a short time, I was not going to do it as a fourth edition game. I said, I need to do it as a fifth edition game. And while fifth edition is easy enough to pick up a DM right out of the book, right out of the gates, I as a DM like to come at the game with a little more knowledge. So I said, I need to learn the game. The best way to learn the game is to be a player. Adventure League is the best way to learn the game with the official rules. So I played Adventure League for the better part of a year before I ever ran a single session. Of wow. Yeah. What I learned from that experience was instrumental, and it's part of the reason why I really love this book. The hardest part about playing Adventure League for me was not being able to play a character that was outside of the box. It was hard to say, I want to play a dwarf, but I want to play a dwarf on the fringe of dwarf society. Or I want to play uh, a this on the fringe of that society. Or I want to play a dragonborn raised by barbarian humans. Or I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do those things via Adventure League. And there was, and because Adventure League is very much by the book, I could certainly have that as a backstory. Yep. But there was no way to mechanically support it. Interesting. Very okay. limited way to mechanically support. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And so taking taking these sort of changes and again, kind of making them canon or giving players the option to draw them, uh, I I can see where the value in that is. I, I guess you know, like I said, it's more just that these were always options if you didn't want to strictly play D anD. I guess the best way to say it to everybody listening is this: there are no new options as far as choices in that first initial part of the game, as far as how you build your character. That's not new information. You could have always done everything that this book has made canon. What this does is it allows every player who exclusively plays eventually or any new player who's looking to play the game to have rules to support their vision. For those of us who've been playing for a long time, we've always played Support Your Vision. Yep. So in that case, I look at this book as the greatest justification and validation of everything I've been doing as a game master for 25, 30 years, wow. 30, 35 years. This book validates what I do. And, and for that, I applaud Wizards of the Coast for having a book that validates me um, as, as a player, as a DM, I felt very validated by this. I feel very validated by some of their comments and statements. And there's a lot of people saying, oh, they're just doing this for money. They're just, it's just to get more sales. They're a business. Of course, they're doing things for sales. Yeah, of course, they're doing things for money. But there are lots of ways to get people to uh, vote your way without doing the right thing. I'll leave that yep. at that. This is not a political discussion. There yep. are lots of ways they could have made sales without doing the right thing. So yep. to say that the right thing is less simply because it gets them sales really misses the mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I appreciate nope, that, that's totally fair. I know that we've kind of hammered on the on the first bit of the book, but I want to talk a little bit about other other pieces of the book that I found really exemplary, and there are two standouts for me. One of them is kind of the book as a whole and a lot of the, not just flavor text, but the writing style in the book itself. But let's not, let's not gloss over the flavor text. Those little snippets from Tasha's point of view oh, are hysterical. Beautiful. They're hysterical. Oh yeah, you're absolutely correct. Well done. And, and I know this is basically a carryover or an improved version or a furthering of what they did with Xanathar's. Xanathar's, yeah. But Tasha's comments, from a character perspective, her character's amazing. Uh, great little missives. I could sit here all day and quote a bunch of them, but for our listeners who don't have this book, whether it be digitally or in hardcover, I'm not going to quote this in this first episode. I want you to go get the book. So yeah, yeah. when we come back in a week with our next episode and we're getting into the nitty-gritty about the chapters and what we liked about the specific piece and whatnot, then I might say a quote, but then you'll also have already read them so you know where I'm coming from. So um, I'm going to shameless plug for just a second then. So when you get your copy of Tasha's, and if there is something specifically that you want to, to talk about with us or that you want us to mention in that upcoming episode, you can reach us at ttjourneys at gmail.com or at our TT Journeys Twitter handle. Absolutely. We really want your feedback. A review is only as good as our ability to comment on what you are looking for. Tell us what you're looking for so we can com comment. Use this conversation today as a launch pad, but let's land it on the specifics when we dig in. Right. And if we get enough of those comments, if we have enough pieces and parts that we want to do, we'll do a third episode if need be to, to cover, cover the ground uh, we need to in this book. And again, it's Absolutely. not because we want you to hear what we have to say and not buy the book. It's because we want to go get the book so that we're all talking together and having a conversation, a meeting of the collective minds on great content. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we, were, we were talking about Tasha's vignettes and not only how well written they are, but I thought that the way that they presented her character and the consistency of her character's voice throughout those little, I mean, like it's hard to build character voice in a sentence or two every chapter, but I really felt like just reading through those vignettes that I kind of understood Tasha's perspective on things and, yep. and kind of where that character was coming from. And so building that sort of character depth in really short, short snippets like that is really, really hard to do. And I think that that gets to the other kind of side to that coin is that the book is just written really well. Yeah. We talked a little bit about how the 5th edition Player's Handbook and the 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide could have used some better editing. Let's, let's leave it at that. There was some ambiguity in some of the rules. Like, one of the things that stood out to me in Tasha's, and when we got into the spell section, is that the spell Booming Blade, it, the spell is written with some ambiguity so that it does not necessarily have to apply to a physical weapon. And there are, have been a lot of tutorials online about how to build rogues that use Booming Blade with a, with a, with a, a spectral weapon cantrip um, and how to go ahead and apply it and basically stack the damage on top of that. To eliminate that ambiguity, Tasha's specifically says, basically a physical weapon you're holding in your hand, you can use this cantrip. And yeah. so it's kind of like, oh, that change right there it's a small thing, and it's, it's one of those things that I probably would not have picked up on it if I had not seen an article about Tasha's saying, oh, 
crap, they changed Booming Blade. I can't do the thing I used to do. And I don't know whether that was, I'm not sure if that was just a permissive DM or uh, someone who was like intentionally ner- playing around with the rules. But the fact that they, the fact that they addressed that specifically to the point that this player that was saying like, oh man, I can't drop 3d8 worth of damage at first level when I use this spell combination and then get my regular attack. Uh, the fact that they have, have fixed that in one sentence kind of goes to the level of writing and care that was taken to some aspects of this book. Well, they have the benefit coming at Tasha's. We are six, I believe, if not seven years into into the edition. With six years of the edition, many of those years, more so or better so than other previous editions with an organized play so they can see and get feedback on how the things that are in each of their books uh, and adventure modules and adventure hardcovers along the way play out, right? So they have a lot of feedback. D&D has D&D Beyond to kind of pull information from. They have their own website to pull information from. from. I have been an active member on several Facebook groups. Shameless plug for Dungeons and Dragons Raw Rules as, as Written uh, group. And then the, the sister group to that rules as intended, where they're the moderators there. You're amazing. Thank you. Helped me greatly in my games. I could go and ask any rules question on the raw to get the official answer. And often they support that with chats or texts from Crawford himself. So you feel supported, and this is what is actually written. This is how it means to be. Then you can take that information, go to intended, and get ideas on. What do you think was intended? What do you think they meant by this? And that, and then you can take that and go a step further to any of the number of uh, homebrew groups where you can say, now that I know the rule, now that I know that's intended, what are some ways to have fun? Rules as fun as the, as the other group in question. Now, what are some ways to make this fun at my table? Because as you said earlier, we do homebrew games. We don't run out-of-the-box games. It's just not what we do. Anything I homebrew starts from a point of knowledge, right? It has to start from I understand fundamentally the rule. And this is what I intend to change and why I intend to change it. I feel that with six years of that kind of feedback available to them, they can go back and fix the most egregious, Blooming Blade being one of them. They can fix minor class issues here or there that have had problems. which goes back to my statement. It's why I feel the game needed this because they needed to clear up some of that stuff with, I will leave it at could have been edited or written better. Yep. The other thing that I want to talk about as being really exceptional in this book um, is the entire section on how to use uh, rules as a dungeon master and changes that you can make um, as a dungeon master. The bit about group patrons is exceptional the bits about the different types of worlds and the different types of scenarios that you can find or that that groups can find themselves in and how that uh how that can translate to the table was exceptional even even in a game that is super crunchy and so there are a lot of tables how to randomly generate that stuff you know forget that they're tables like they're giving you the options and so now i can go down that list and say well you know the the group that i've got at my table currently they are definitely being sponsored by a military organization here are some things that i did not think about that they should that they should be getting as bennies for that sponsorship now they're they're kind of 
they're off in a side quest right now because they got blown off course and pushed onto an island with psionic bad guys. But whatever. Soul of Night. Now Tasha's gives me things that I did not even think about when when I kind of set up the very basis of the quest. And yeah, could I have? There are certainly some things that I could have done had I thought have I had I thought it through a little bit differently. There are certainly things that I would have come up with. But again, the fact that it is putting it right in front of me and saying, if this group is sponsored by a military organization, here are the ten things that you should be thinking about. I, I'm right with you. I now have a rule set that I can be a little more efficient with my time. I run two games. I have a life. I have a full-time job. I do a podcast. You know, if I were to have to hand work up a lot of these details, that would be a, a lot of additional prep time. Like Josh said, it's not that I'm randomly rolling things, but I now know the options. So I can very quickly turn to a page, see the options, make this happen. I also get to take this powerful hero group and have design adversaries that are good opposition for them because there are going to be groups that work for other patrons. They can either be antagonists in that they're not yeah. opposed, but they're they're not directly opposed, like good guy, bad guy, but this group wants the want, wants the secret item too, and it's not them, so it's a race. You know, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, I now have so many options that I don't have to worry about every group they go against is a carbon copy. I have better options than that. Yep. My options went from two or three to like seven or eight. And then within them, you've got eight or nine different levels of yep. diversity. Tons so of I never have to repeat myself. Yep. And uh, that's uh, what yeah. I love about Absolutely. And, and your point about how the, the, the team patron system doesn't just apply to your group at the table, but applies to every group or every person that they're going to interact with, it, it gives you that lattice work to really clearly delineate what resources the bad guy or even the gray character that they're going to meet, what are, you know, like my, t- my group is going to run into character that is deeply ingrained in organized crime at some point because I've written it in the plot and it's going to happen. And now given the the particulars of the organized crime outfit that he's attached to and given the particulars of the city that he lives in all of a sudden what was kind of i'll figure it out when i get there sort of moment is very clear in my mind about oh no here's how this is going to go down and here's here's the bad time that they're going to have when they run into this individual and, and here is what that individual's motivations are and, and everything like that. It really helped clarify all those sorts of details. Because, you know, yeah. I know in my head that it's probably three or four games away. We're not playing again until January. So I, this is not something that I need to worry about until, like, March. One of the things that Tasha's did very, very well is it distilled an entire universe of possibilities to uh, uh, almost a branching system where it's like, what's your patron? Oh, it's your, your patron is, is a, is a military organization or your patron is an otherworldly entity. Fantastic. Here are the six otherworldly entities and how are they different? And you can roll on that table if you want, if you don't want to pick one, or you can just go down and say, Oh, well, if I pick a lich, okay, cool. That so they're working for a lich. And if they're working for a lich, here are the six different types of people that could be interacting with your party as an intermediary between them and the bad guy that they don't know that they're working for. You talked about uh, about 3.5 just a little while ago, and 
one of the things that I, I didn't like when they went from 3.5 to, to 5th edition was how they got rid of the feet tree system. I like feet trees. I like skill trees. I like things like that. And I was kind of sad to go ahead and see that see that go away, even though I know that it streamlined the rules a lot, right? Yeah. In a little way, Tasha's now does that with group dynamics in a really, really interesting and compelling way. And so I, I absolutely thought that the, the, the Dungeon Master chapter of that book was far away. It was it was very much the, the 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 strongest chapter of that book. In that regard, if we talk about expectations going into Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, yep. I think I really had two different expectations. I expected to be somewhat disappointed by the man the method that they gave their inclusivity choices to. Yep, agreed. While appreciating that they gave, I expected to be moderately okay with some of the rules clarifications and some of the new options and i expected that i would really like the detail and be interested greatly in the detail in the dm section the patron and all of that that's what i expect um i agree with with you for the most part i was interested to see what their errata would be in terms of rules clarifications and things like that really some of those uh about a week before the book came out and so we kind of got a a feeling for what sort of uh rules clarifications were going to be there i agree with you about how i did not expect to like uh what became the, the first chapter and kind of how they were how they're breaking out the diver- the the diversity there. Um, I think a lot of that might have been. Uh, I will I will fully admit that I think that it might have been uh, a case of, of bad press where there were so many people saying that it was not going to be good, and that I wondered if that if that sort of colored my expectations. So I will certainly uh, sort of put uh, myself on the hook on on that level, and that uh, I may not have been ready to give it a fair shake. Let me let me say that. I will also say that the I, I you know with with. With a with a DM errata, I'm never really sure what I'm going to get with that, and so I, I I didn't really have any expectations about that in particular. I figured it would be. I mean, look, spoiler alert: I did not think it was going to be as good as it was. I'll just let, let's say that until we get more deep into it. The one thing that that I didn't hear you cover is that I expected there to be more magical flavor because of who in game was writing the book. There was a lot of character of Tasha in the book. But the section on like spells and magical items was kind of eh. I really wanted to get into that when we do the um, the detail part of yep. part of the yeah, show. We will, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so I'll really dig in a little bit more. I didn't know what to expect as far as that at all. So kind of like where you said, I didn't really have expectations other than a, a wait and see attitude. That's kind of what I was looking for as far as the spells. Yep. Tasha's a character. She has her hideous laughter. It's been in the game since I've been in the game. You know, what other spells, what new spells are they going to do to attribute to this character? I was waiting for that. Interestingly enough, I find the hardest thing to homebrew for me are spells. Homebrewing character, homebrewing items are fine. Homebrewing spells I find to be very difficult. Aside from the basic fireball, ice ball. Uh, you know, uh, uh, changing an elemental type of damage, easy, right? Scaling up or scaling down damage, easy. But coming up with something that's truly new and truly unique, I find that to be hard. I think that the game does a great job with everything they have. In fact, that's one of the best things about 5e. I think they pared back this 
bajillion spells that have come to exist in the hobby to affect an effective core. Yep. I, I didn't think that there's a lot missing from the game. I, I was wondering what kind of spells are they going to do to attach Tosser's name to? Yep. That will be both in character and new. I'll get into the details about that when we talk about that section. Talk the next episode. Detail. But I didn't have an expectation going in. But my feelings about everything coming out, we'll start there. I agree with you. It was maybe slightly more positively. It comes out to meh. I don't see many of my players picking any of the brand new spells from this book to go with their character. Nope, I agree. Currently have. Yep. New characters in the future? Possibly, probably. I don't think this enhances any of the magic users that are currently in my game. And so for me, that leaves you with a myth. Not one of them came comes across to me as bad, broken, busted in some fashion. I think it's largely just meh. You talked about how uh, homebrewing spells is is tough i thought the section in tasha's about how to customize spell output from your character was also really really well done like the the example that they had about the uh the little gnomish farmer sorcerer who every time he fires magic missile they are spectral chickens um was hysterical was flat out hysterical like that's and and so just just kind of like giving that sort of perspective on it is was really really well done um though the one thing uh we talked about the magical items the magical item that absolutely threw me for a loop and boy i i don't have the book with me and i don't remember the name of it but it's the teeth the the the, the magical item teeth the ones that that it's that collection of like of of magical teeth that you can put into your own uh into your own mouth and you get special abilities Flat out disgusting and amazingly written. So, yes. you know. What's interesting about that section that you mentioned, it falls in in much the same way the patrons are something that I've been doing for a long time. And to have it canonized makes me very happy and I feel yep. validated. I would say the exact same thing about the spells. I love the fact that an idea that I homebrew, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one, right, can be canonized. Patrons, spell flavoring. All of these things are affect even the options because, as we said to begin with, we've been doing that for years. All they did was canonize it. To me, this book is a validation for those of us who've been in the hobby for a very long time, doing things that made the game better for us, and it basically validates us. So now we can go to an adventure league table and do what we do in our homebrew games and still play. Yep. That's awesome. Um, yeah. That, that, beat every expectation I had for this book. I guess that's the best thing that we can say so far about Tasha's is that all of these homebrew concepts that we feel add depth to the basic Dungeons and Dragons framework, people who weren't doing that before or were strictly following the rules or in Adventure League where they had to go ahead and follow exactly as it was in the book, their options are now bigger and the decisions that we were making as Dungeon Masters doing homebrew worlds are now backed up they're now they're they're codified they're supported they are probably slicker than rules that we would have come up with on our own like as good as we are we're not wizards of the coast good right so 
that's really great. Here's the big question, right? Let's throw Tasha's in a pile with, with Xanathar, with Volos, put it in a pile with the other named books. So Eberron's, Morton Canyon's, Volos, Xanathar's, how does it how does it rank? It is so close to Xanathar's in my mind. Yep. I think whatever I say today may change in six months. That's fine. Every part of me wants to say, as a DM, Tasha's as, as the number one of those books. As a player, I would probably lean towards Xanathar's. Xanathar's, yep. Yeah. I think, I, I think that could change in six months where I'm DMing and I will have six months to DM with this book at my side and Xanathar's by my side. So I'll be able to make a difference as a player. I'll have both at my side and that could change. Yeah. I think uh, it could change in Tasha's favor. It really depends on what goes on with me as a player. Yeah. Um, There's not a lot for the character I currently play, but if I'm making a new character, I'm probably going to do that with Tasha's in mind. Yeah. I think that that's a really, that's a really fair point is that because I think about the players, uh, the characters that I'm currently playing, none of the player things, even though I'm playing a wizard, none of the player things are going to find their way to any of the, the characters that I'm currently playing. But I uh, love the options and I want to play characters that use them. Yep. Right. Oh, I was going to say, I, I think you're, you're, because as I was asking the question, I was like, I think I put this right behind Xanathar's. Like, it's like, Xanathar's is one, Tasha's is like one B. It's right there. And your point about as a DM, Tasha's ranks above Xanathar's, I think is really, really well taken. Because the DMs, like, as I've been sitting here talking to you about it, like, I have liked, I, I started liking the DM stuff more than I did when I originally read it. And I loved it when I read it. But like now, like talking through it with you, it's like, oh, no, no, that DM stuff is really, really, really good and really, really, really useful. And so I think, I think your point about how as a DM, this might be better than Xanathar's. And I also fully admit that I've had all of like three days with the book. This opinion might change in six months, but yeah, it's it's that good. It really is. I think the highest praise I can say for this book from the player perspective is this. Every part of me is waiting for D&D Beyond to have all these rules uploaded so I can start building characters with Tasha. Yep. The book is in D&D Beyond. I bought that the day it came out. So I was reading it on D&D Beyond right then and there. As soon as I get to build with some of these options built into the rules, I'm going to be a very happy boy. Uh, and I am really looking forward to that. Now, from a player perspective, I don't think there can be a higher praise for a character option book than I can't wait to start to dig in and start using the option. So safe to say, I think that both of us would recommend buying this book. Absolutely. Buy this book digitally for your digital users, whether you're using Roll20, D&D Beyond, or some combination thereof. Absolutely get it in that method. Also, buy a hardcover. Go to your local game shop. Get it at your yep. local game shop. Support your local guys. In the age yep. of COVID, they need all the help they can get. And Absolutely. quite honestly, long Christmas before we had to go to Zoom, somebody gave us spaces to play. Uh, let's let's support the guys who did that. And uh, wherever they may be. Josh and I live fairly far apart, so we're, we utilize different local gaming shops. But we're all about supporting our local shops. And we yeah, absolutely. That. But, uh, yeah, like I was saying, uh, I think uh, this book is great. I think everybody should get it uh, by whatever means you can. Um, support your local guys and enjoy this book. We are going to have future episodes on this book at least 
one, if not two more, where we dig in section by section and really go into the options. Anything you wanted to say about that, Scott? Uh, no, just that I really look forward to uh, to doing uh, uh, that episode too. We're going to go into that in a ton of detail, and I'm really looking forward to having that conversation. Because even in our pre conversations, you and I had some disagreements about some of the some of the things that were in there. So I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be really fun. Yeah, it's going to be a good conversation. I did want to give one um, disclaimer or one clarification about this conversation and our review of Tasha's, and kind of set the stage. This is our first review for the channel, so uh, I did want to we evaluate things. From a point of honesty, from the point of was it structurally good? Was it structurally sound? That was our conversation about the editing earlier on. But also, how does it impact our games as DMs, as players? Do we like this thing? Sponsorship or not, we're always going to do our best to evaluate honestly, fairly. We enjoy creation for the sake of creation, so we're definitely going to do that. Along those lines, there are a lot of YouTube channels that I watch uh, and, and pay attention and podcasts that I watch and pay attention. I made a conscious choice over the last two weeks to unfortunately not support some of our friendly content creators because I wanted to read this book and do this review before I heard other people's reviews. Yep. Um, so I will not be watching some of my favorite channels if their content is Tasha related until after we finish recording all of our Tasha's episodes. For the guys that I love, Dungeon Coats, Luke Hart, DM's Lair, Dungeon Dudes. I will be getting back to you guys as soon as I possibly can. I just can't do it while I'm doing the review. When I'm done with the review, I'm back with you. And let me not forget Ted at Nerd Immersion, whose exhaustive coverage of Tasha's yeah. has been really good in the, in the pre-speculation days. I can only assume it's just as good now. So we'll definitely be looking at those guys uh, in... Yeah, uh, because those are some of the channels that I kind of like to listen. Yeah. We'll probably be throwing them in the descriptions sure. so that you can kind of see some of the folks that we listen to uh, and watch and kind of get I and yeah. get ideas. With. Other than that, I think we're gonna wrap this one up, Josh. We've covered a lot of ground today, and this is supposed to be the shorter of the episodes on Josh's, but it's a great <laughs> book. Yep, we're probably not going to have a short episode on that. Nope, uh, there are going to be several episodes on Tasha's, I'm sure. Uh, because I think, because there's that much depth in every chapter in that book that we're going to be able to go on for quite a while on those. So uh, looking forward to that conversation. We're going to have that conversation in just a couple of days. Sounds great. Great. All right. So just a reminder for everybody that if uh, we'd love to hear your feedback and we would love to interact with you on this topic. So please check us out. You can go directly to the website at ttjourneys.com. You can email us at ttjourneys at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter at TT Journeys. Uh, I just posted a couple of minutes ago about how we're recording our review of Tasha's right now. Uh, hashtag not sponsored by NASA. So. Yeah. <laughs> but we All will right. if they want us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Liwanika, you have a fantastic afternoon. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening. This has been Tabletop Journeys. In the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.